Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Karen Finney. Karen Finney is sitting in for Danielle, who's on vacation this week, but we're proud to have Karen with me, an old friend, of a veteran of four presidential campaigns, a host at MSNBC, now a contributor at CNN, strategist, activist, has been in and around politics for many years. I think a lot of folks already know that, so happy to have you here with me this week. Um, we just listened to Kamala give her speech, which seemed like I'm introducing myself to the country. I'm not- I'm letting you know I see myself in the tradition of Fannie Lou Hamer, Shirley Chisholm, et cetera. I have this big community in terms of my family and my friends and, you know, the, the godchildren I love and my husband, Doug, and these sorts of things. Um you know, didn't you love? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like public service is yeah. a noble thing for me. You know, yeah. I am a serious person, but also also likable and personable. It didn't it didn't intend to burn down the barn the way like you know Obama at you know O four DNC that launched his career. It wasn't intended to do that. It was intended to be like a nice, warm hello, how are you? You know, nice to meet you. Well, in fairness, under COVID, I mean, you know, there is a difference when you are in a in a hall with, you know, hundreds of thousands of people screaming and yelling versus how do you deliver a speech in what looked like it was, um, you know, sort of a large conference type space um, to reporters when nobody's going to be cheering anything you say and you have to bring all the energy yourself. Yep. And so I thought for that, she did a fantastic job of rising to that occasion. It's so funny. I was talking to Star Jones, a friend of ours who has actually known Kamala since she was 17 years old They in, in, from high school. They're AKAs together. But and as a, she was saying, you know, they also have had shared part of their legal career. I mean, they've been friends so long and stars a former prosecutor and was making the point that, look, when you're a prosecutor, that's what you have to do. You have to be able to deliver, you know, that kind of um, opening and closing statement. And you're 
to 12 people and it's not the big crowd. And I, so I thought, and her point was, you know, so it's a skill and I thought Kamala did it very well, but you're right. I mean, look, the, the goal here was, I mean, a couple fold. Um, and look, I want us to be very clear as a black woman, there are certain things and ways that you say things um, and do things. I thought she was forceful and powerful and strong but we know, I mean, just from working with so many black women candidates and women candidates, you know, the delivery really matters in how people perceive what you're telling them. You know, we always got that trope of the angry black woman and the this and the that. And, you know, some people saying, well, she's not this or she's not that. There's in, in ways that we never talk about men. Mm-hmm. So I thought she did. I thought the open the video that came before with her uh, stepdaughter and her niece mm. and her sister. That was lovely was really beautiful and showed just the diversity of her family. And one of the things that was so beautiful in her story that she talked about and shared with us is that her family looks more, that's, you know, that's like the TV show, modern family. That is more Mm -hmm. like what a lot of American families look like and are looking more like in terms of the diversity in terms of, you know, sometimes these are families created because two families come together. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. a little bit similar to with Joe and Jill Biden, obviously, Mm-hmm. different circumstances, you know, but so, you know, the love that she clearly has and that her stepchildren have for her is really special. And and that is a, a, a reality in American life that is very different than it, you know, might have been many, many years ago. So I like that she kind of showed us and didn't just tell us, I'm you. I've had a life, have life experience raised by mostly by a single mother who can't, I mean, a lot of us can relate to that experience, having to, you know, work her way in part through school and law school, having to, you know, be there to care for her mother when she was dying of cancer. I mean, a lot of the experiences of, uh, you know, the American story, the American journey. And, you know, I thought that was, powerful, but also particularly important because we know what's coming because it's already happening. And that is the othering, right? The othering is is already happening because she's a woman, because she's black, so many things. And you're right. The smallest things are part of the introduction to America, especially when you're black and when you're female. You take me back to my earliest days on MSNBC and watching myself back and noticing that when your eyebrows go down, which is a fairly natural reaction when you're in the middle of making a serious point, that it looks very mean. Mm-hmm. And you really have to like make a conscious effort to raise your eyebrows yeah. so you have an open face so you look friendly, right? right? And as black right. people, um, we have to be really thoughtful about these sort of things and really conscious about presenting that open face because so many people will want to uh, uh, dismiss you so quickly. And Kamala, especially in the beginning, was really thoughtful about a smiling face, an open face, an open tone, a warm, friendly, welcoming tone. Mm -hmm. And I hate to get into the theater criticism of it all, but I think in this introduction to America – she was being very thoughtful about that. Look, mm-hmm. the politicos know Kamala. She's been a political star for several years. But the DNC is meant to introduce you to the rest of America, who right. may not have even been paying attention to the race that tough so far. But this was Kamala night. We've heard about her. Let's go see her. Let's and check her out, right? they did a great job about 
creating this pride around her, the video with all these young girls jumping up and down and getting her autograph and feeling like, oh my God, it's someone who looks like me. And, you know, the women in her family saying like, you know, she's Mamala, she's my sister who is my protector, she's a tough girl. You know, there's been a lot of pro-woman energy throughout this convention so far entirely. <laughs> yeah. um, partly, I think the 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 brightest shining star of the week so far has been Michelle Obama. Her speech was amazing. It, it was absolutely amazing. And it was, a, again, a different kind of speech taking advantage of the fact that this isn't in a big hall. You, I think it would have been hard to give a speech like that in front of, again, that roaring crowd. It was the kind of personal, let me, let me talk, let me holla at you for a minute. Let me, mm-hmm. let me sit here and talk with you for a minute about what's real. And I think that is a theme. We heard that from President Obama. We heard that from Jill Biden. I mean, this very personal let me get right down to what is at stake to brass tacks. And one of the things that Michelle did and, you know, her speech was so masterful because, and I think so many of the speakers have done this, you know, again, and I know we're going to talk about this, the goal of this convention, it's, inter, you know, telling Joe Biden's story, introducing people to Kamala, this is the ticket, but also talking about character, making the case for character counts. Tonight, I was pleased that they talked a bit more about some of the issues we care about because those are our core values as Democrats, and that's mm. important. But Michelle has this wonderful ability because she is so wildly popular across backgrounds and you know across generations. You know, black, white, brown, Asian American, young, old, different parts of the country. So her speech, her comments were really you could tell geared towards reaching out beyond the, the the base of the party and the Democrat, but also to some of those independents and to some of those, you know, in, in politics, one of the groups that we've been watching very carefully or closely is uh, the sort of moderate white women, suburban white women who voted for Trump in 2016, who started to move away from him, frankly, almost immediately. They moved away from Republicans in 2018. It's part of how we got such a phenomenal group of uh, new, play, wonderful women in Congress, and they're still moving away from him. And so when Michelle was talking about what must our children be thinking, what, you know, what, what are they hearing in this moment? Um, you know, again, some of those, those notes to try to reach out to us as human beings, as Americans, and not just in a political way. I mean, yes, when we talk about voting and vote like your life depends on it because it does. And it's not to say the critique wasn't there. You know, there were some sharp points in, in many of the speeches, but honing in on children and that sort of, and, and to parents to be, what are our kids taking from this? I mean, that's exactly right. Michelle quite often says, I said this to my daughters, but she's actually saying it to us. Mm-hmm. And she's saying it to us like, the mom of America and like that ultimate mom who's like, Hey, you guys, whatever happens, be dignified. If they go low, you go high. Or, you know, she reminded me of like, you know, some of us have that plain spoken mom or grandmom who's just over it and just tells it like it is and doesn't have time for pretense and just says, he's a fool. 
right? Like, oh, mom, like, you can't say that. Like, why right. can't I, you know? Right. And she's just like, he's in over his head. And that's right? not political science. That's not even left, right. Like, even if you're on the right and you still love him, you kind of got to admit, yeah, he is in over his head, clearly. Like, he really does not. He has completely screwed up this COVID thing. You may hate China all you want, but he is in over his head. And she's just good for that that plain-spoken, keep-it-real, sharp dagger to the chest of, like, you know, yeah. he's in over his head. And you notice at the end of that he's in over his head moment, like the three or four sentences there, she ends with, it is what it is. It was like, boom, drop which the is, mic, I'm out, you heard which me. Which is boob, <laughs> but also, like, remember that phrase that you used on Axios when you're like, COVID people are dying, it oh, is well, what it is. Right. And she's like, like oh, really? you can't do this. It is what it is. Right? I mean, that was, that was just like, I was like, oh, she did it. She went there, you know? And But that's also kind of, she has this beautiful ability to, it's kind of like, I know it's what you're thinking, but I'm going to say it. You mm. know what I mean? <laughs> there's a, there were a few moments in there I was like, yeah, well, that's what we're thinking. Yeah, and and I, mean, I think even for, you know, again, in this effort to reach out to, I don't know who these people are, who are, I'll be honest, who are on the fence or not sure or thinking they might vote for this man again. Mm. You know, again, creating this, this was part of the goal of this convention to create this permission structure right. for those folks to say, yeah, 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 it seems a little in over his head. Yeah, that's fair. All right, yeah, because... You know, and and as we as we know, part of what she was speaking to, which is the reality that people are living, is that what Trump is saying right now is not what's happening in our right. lives. We can see it. Right. He right. It, he's like saying everything is great, and it's like, but we know the emperor has no clothes, man, because we're here. But, but the cities are war zones, which right. we also right. know is not true. <laughs> what do you? I mean, the permission structure notion you talk about is really important because as a true blue democrat i want to hear joe go up on the stump every day or on front of a microphone every day and talk about how trump is racist he's incompetent he's a moron he's horrible he's evil but he won't do that because partly because he wants to present himself as a decent dignified pleasant person who you will enjoy having in charge over the next four years. But also if you voted for Trump and you are wavering or you're looking for someplace to go, Joe Biden does not want to make you feel like a hypocrite in switching to him. Well, it's, and it's even a little deeper than that because I mean, I will say, you know, he has said he's racist. I mean, he will, he gets it in there from time to time. Let's be honest. But, but he doesn't like but, throw big punches yeah, like we want him kind to. Of not him, but I will, here's the other thing I will say. If you did that, those people would shut down because people don't want to be told, well, you were stupid. You vote, right. you know, you're dumb. You voted for this guy. Right. Instead, I mean, because I can just tell you from focus group work that I've done with voters in some, in some white college educated voters who voted for Trump, who are kind of disgusted with him, who say things like, you know, I want to change, but this isn't what I meant. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. Or that you see in polls where people say, you know, they agree that he's not doing a good job handling COVID. He's not, you know, ha handling his business, as you might say, right? He's, that's not happening. But they don't, but they don't want to attack him personally, right? And I think we have to understand that part of that is because, you know, is, you know, voters 
don't want to be told they were wrong. They want a chance to say, you know what? Okay, you were fooled. He, you know what? I mean, to my mind, it's like, that's what he does really well. And he fooled, you know, he fooled a lot of people. And now you know, and so you can make a different choice. And so I think part of this permission structure thing too is speaking to those people so that we're not talking down to them. Mm. We're not, you know, we're not, um, although Michelle kind of did, she was like, we don't have time for this third party vote nonsense, right? right? Like, I mean, I appreciated that people have been saying that. But I think, you know, we just have to understand in the, in the mental, in the psychology of the people who we're talking to. Um, and, you know, the other thing, Terry, that I always feel like we got to remember is that for so many Americans, and God knows we do a lot of work in politics on this, they do not feel that their vote is at, at equals change. They're not sure, like, what really changes for me? Now, I would argue that with Trump, a lot has changed directly because of him. And again, I think that's the case they've been trying to make at the convention uh, this week is to point out those very specific direct places. I mean, particularly around COVID, I think we've seen that a few times. There was a whole section uh, talking to farmers. There was a small business owner who, and she was, you know, how she was struggling. So I think they've been trying to, you know, pinpoint the immigration conversation and and the and the things that have happened to people in this country between the Muslim ban and putting children in cages. So I think they're trying to make that argument too, um, but again, kind of cre- create that permission structure, that bridge for, for other folks. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that forced David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. So, 
show is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition. The midterms are coming, and it's more important than ever that we protect and fix our elections. We all know that our government is broken. Politicians spend more time working for themselves, their big donors, and their political party instead of for us. We as Americans have had enough of the corruption, partisan bickering, and gridlock. Look, I get that all the nonsense makes you want to tune out, but I'm here to tell you there's reason for hope. Our political system is broken now, but we can fix it. That's why we've partnered with Represent Us, a nonpartisan grassroots organization that has helped notch more than 160 victories to improve our elections and give power back to the voters where it belongs. Right now until November, there are many, many ways you can get involved. Represent Us is working in cities and states to pass good government policies like ranked choice voting. And they're also recruiting folks to help staff the polls. Let's protect our elections now and for generations to come. Visit represent.us slash pod to learn more. That's represent.us slash pod. I mean, it stood out to me at times. It was like, am I watching the RNC? I thought this was the DNC. When you have Colin Powell, Cindy McCain, you know, endless roll calls of Republican voters who were like, yeah, I can't do that again. Yeah, this isn't what I want. I'm switching to Biden this time, which I'm happy to see them. I'm happy to see the embrace of them. But as a progressive, it makes me nervous in that if you are reaching out so hard to the fringe right, the flippable right, you are not going to be paying equal attention to progressives. And if you get elected thinking the flippable right came with you, then you're not going to be governing for progressives. You're going to be governing for them. Well, I think we have to put this, you know, take a step back and put in perspective. I mean, I know some of the folks, for example, who are working on the Lincoln Project, which is a group of Republicans who are never Trumpers, who are putting a lot of money and effort into helping Joe Biden get elected. I am under no illusion that these folks are are going to be Democrats. They're not, but they don't want Trump and Joe Biden for them is a vehicle for change. I fully expect that they're going to go back to, you know, many of them are opposed, for example, to abortion rights for women, right? That is a core Democratic Party value in my mind. So we're going to go back to having those conversations. Um, Our interests happen to be aligned right now in terms of getting rid of Donald Trump. Um, But I don't, but I, and I agree. So I agree with you. And I think that the thing when, when God willing, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are elected, they have to remember, okay, those folks aren't necessarily going to be with you again. And you got to let you, you know, Joe Biden, you became the nominee because of black people, black women leading black people. And that, you know, we cannot afford to take anything for granted. So I'm with you. It makes me nervous to be too focused on worrying about those swing Republicans and not putting enough attention into our base. Now, I would argue that putting a black woman on the ticket shows a depth of understanding about this moment that we're in, Mm -hmm. understanding where the future of the country is going. I know a lot of people thought, well, of course he was going to do that. No, that's not true. I'm here to tell you that is not true. It was hard work. It was not a foregone conclusion. So, and I'm not saying that's the only, you know, thing that's not just about you know, throwing a bone to progressives because Kamala is phenomenal in her own right. And I think she will make a tremendous vice president. But I was also, the last thing I'll say on this is that's part of why I thought it was so important tonight 
we started to pivot away and we talked about clean energy and, and folks talked about, you know, women's rights and abortion rights and some of the issues that are part of our core values. Cause I was with you, I was getting a little bit like, all right, y'all, I, I, you know, I think a lot of us understand what they're doing, but part of convention is about rallying the base, rallying us, the Democrats. Yeah. And we had the environment 20 minute period or what have you. We had the gun rights 20 or 30 minute period. And I don't say 20, 30 minutes to denigrate. They had their oh, gun blocks. rights. Yeah. yeah they had their environment like, got period, to it, finally. Right. The Violence Against Women Act got a lot of play. The crime bill did not happen. It's not to be mentioned. Don't talk about it. Right. <laughs> right? It's well, like a, but we talked about it a little bit on. Monday night, they did talk a little bit about it. I mean, Clyburn mentioned it a little bit, right? Tried to defend no, no, it a little bit. Biden did a whole thing about criminal justice, about reforms. It was with Lori Lightfoot and with, with a couple of other people. They did like a back and forth. No, no, like like the criminal justice that he will perform, right? Correct. When he talked about there are some good cops who just get to get, get rid of the bad ones, which is a very childish way of understanding policing and not at all accurate. It's not about good cops and bad cops. There is a system that all cops are under that they're all perpetuating. Um, so that was, you know, I mean, that was sort of disappointing. It makes me feel like, you know, I, I don't have any dog in this fight. If that's, you know, if that's the issue, that's really, really important to me. Um, but you know, it's supposed to be an infomercial for the most part. They're doing it pretty well, given the crazy circumstances. I think we both agree that, the roll call was done in this really beautiful way that like brought out the complexity and the variety of America from Rhode Island calamari yeah. to, you know, New Mexico's native, uh, uh, dress to, you know, I mean, like, it was like, yeah. this is really cool, way cooler than what you get in the hall. Yeah. And of course, Barack Obama was able to transcend the difficulty of speaking to no one right. like no one. I thought that was a great, I mean, like Bill Clinton, I'm sorry. I know you worked with Bill Clinton. Like he was forgettable. I'm sorry. Hillary Clinton was forgettable. Right. But Barack okay, no, Obama. No, 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 brought no, 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 no. We're not going to say that. We're not going to say that because I can't hear you say that because part of how we got to a Kamala Harris on the ticket was a Hillary Clinton was oh, no, a I'm just Barack talking about, Obama. Of, so, of course, Hillary is an incredibly important historical figure. But I'm I've, saying, but even I'm within that, I don't her think we speech can say, tonight at the DNC was forgettable, which I did not expect. I thought, you know what? I, I thought she did what she needed to do. She was an, in, personally, I think, an incredibly difficult time. And I also think it matters to have someone like a Bill Clinton to have people who have done the job say this guy came up to the job, right? Of course. But I think, um, and Hillary, I thought, you know, was in a, you know, she was, you know, talking about what's at stake. Obviously also the history in terms of for women and girls and, and frankly, you know, talking about Kamala a little bit, which I was glad to hear because the other thing is this has been a lot about uh, Joe Biden, which is great because he's our nominee. Um, But I was glad to hear people, you know, talk a little bit more about her. So I, I hear, you know, that's just a tough spot for me. Cause I'm like, I, know it's, I didn't I, think I, it was forgettable. I, because I thought in the, for me for ten, in tonight to see Hillary, to see Obama, to see Kamala was very powerful for me. I think that we are in the 
difficult spot for Hillary in that she would have been a great governor, a great master of details, a great master of the back room and getting people to negotiate and create legislation that is valuable for many, many Americans. But giving a great speech is not her best talent. Um, And so just give a speech from your couch in Chappaqua. That's not where she's going to shine. Um, Whereas Barack Obama gives a great speech. Uh, and, you know, and, yeah. and he was great. I mean, like we used to have this, this, this sense of like, I believe it was Bill Clinton was supposed to be the great explainer who would come out to the convention every time and like yeah. explain the, and that has sort of faded away. Maybe he's, he's lost a step as a great speaker. Um, whereas Barack Obama, I felt gave a very strong speech, even when it comes down to like, look, it's not give me your vote. I make everything great. Right. Yeah. He always was like, you got to come with me. Like you, yeah. you continue to have a responsibility after I'm elected. That was always something that he talked about. And he brought that back again tonight. And absolutely like tell people like, come continue to be part of the process. No, I, I hear that. Look, I thought what Obama did, one of the things that he did so beautifully was uh, again, one of the hallmarks I think of this convention was the, is the use of place as a mm-hmm. way to mm-hmm. particularly again, given you don't have as much time. You're under very different circumstances. You're not going to have an audience. How do you make that work to your advantage? And, you know, he kind of looked like he could have been standing in the White House from what he selected. So there was a little bit of that bully popity kind of because it's like, OK, Mr. Trump, if you think you're going to do the White House, guess what? We're going to be presidential, too. I sort of love that 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 backdrop, that feeling. Um, but so I just want to say something for that on a minute. Like, you know, we were talking before Jim Clyburn having uh you know, being in Charleston and talking about, you know, slaves have been brought to right where he was standing and talking about what happened in North Charleston. And then you had, you know, one of, uh, you know, people, you know, folks in Maine, or you had, you know, different people in different places of significance in our country, in part delivering their remarks. And I think that's a big part of what made the roll call so powerful Mm. was to see how diverse this country is, the beauty of this country, the beauty of our people. And yet in each case, talking about challenges that they're facing or what's happening where they are um, in ways that were very unifying, quite frankly, Mm. and part of the, and sort of opening up the definition of what is the American story? What is the American journey? It doesn't mean we're perfect at all by any means, oh, but far, I far love me. that representation. I think it made representation to, to my mind in a totally different way than I, than I, than I think, you know, we tend to think about it. It's like, usually it's like, okay, do we have this many of this kind of people and this many of that kind of people? And do we have enough of those kind of people speaking? And instead it was like, you know what, let's just show who we are and what we got. Um, There was some linkage between the Obama's speeches in that, I mean, there, there's, there's a non or a post political appeal to the notion of the guy is just not that interested or not that able to do the job, whatever side of the aisle you're on. That's right. He's just not – he doesn't have the mental ability. He doesn't have the character. I mean that was Barack's first uh, assault in this piece of like, you know, 
We thought that he would have interest in taking the job seriously. He has no interest in putting in the work, no reverence for the democracy. It's not about left-right. It's about who he is, and he's the wrong person. And that, to to my mind, is a better, in some ways, when you have limited time, because let's be honest. So it was on for two hours. The network's only recovering really the last hour. So knowing what you're working with in terms of when people are tuning in, right, I, I do want to give hats off to folk, them for doing a phenomenal job of condensing, you know, a whole four day program into four nights of two hours. Um, and, and I agree with you. I mean, that theme, I mean, Hillary spoke to it. Clinton spoke to it. Sally Yates spoke to it. Just a lack of interest in doing the job, in the truth, in how it impacts people in anything outside of himself, you know, and, and the focus on like, this is a guy who likes to sit around and, you know, do tweets and watch TV. Like that's not the job. I can tell you from working in the white house, that's not the job. That is not the gig. 6 PM day is over. What are you talking about? Right. It's just like, I mean, you know, I mean, I almost, I just couldn't bring myself to do it, but I'm sure we'll hear plenty of stories about how he was tweeting along the whole thing. And you kind of want to be like, I'm sorry. Don't you have something you could be doing right now? Like, I don't know, like a plan for COVID you could be working on right now instead of this nonsense, or instead of fo- focusing on how you're going to shut down the post office. You know, and to that point, I think the other thing that Obama touched on that was so powerful is just what's in, at stake in terms of our democracy. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now, wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In terms of just our fundamental, basic democracy, you don't have, you know, his hope, like, I get it, you, you know, you may not believe in government, you don't like government, you don't get, I, I feel you on that, but you know, certain things, this is about who we are. This is about basic, you know, you should be able to put a piece of mail in a mailbox and, and know that it's going to get where it's going. I mean, who thought that ever would have thought that that was up for question? I mean, one of the big themes we heard over and over tonight was people saying, make a voting plan. Yes. And I can't remember folks really underlining that, like, 
How are you going to do it? But Michelle's like, bring a brown bag. I mean, come on, y'all. <laughs> you might have to, because because you might have to sit there for six to eight hours, but be ready. I mean, yeah, like, that's right. wow. I mean, this, the chaos of the voting, the COVID, the postal service, like, we really do have to be very thoughtful, that's especially right. in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Florida, yes. and Wisconsin and Arizona, about how we're going to vote, which is crazy i mean like it should be easy it should be easy it shouldn't it shouldn't be like this we shouldn't be fighting people shouldn't have to choose think be thinking about how do i make sure i can vote but keep myself healthy and safe that, i mean wh- i mean wh- why is it i can i can pay my taxes <laughs> online that's right but i can't vote online i can't it's just it doesn't you make can pay sense. your taxes online you can order food online hell you don't even have to leave your house right you can pretty much get any these days right anything <laughs> you want it is online and yet we can't get the <sighs> but i do but but you know Troy, something we we got to say to people here is because i think we are going to have to be saying it over and over again make a plan to vote. You heard President Obama tell you, you heard Michelle tell you, you've heard others throughout the couple of these nights. I'm sure we will hear it again tomorrow night. Make a plan to vote. Look, 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 look. Just put on a hazmat suit and go to your polling place. Like, I, I, I'm sorry, the, we can't trust the mail. DeJoy conti- said he's not going to, but he continues to dismantle the Postal Service. Right. Just... Just, just remember Naomi Campbell when she had to fly and she just yes. had the whole thing. Just, just, just mummify yourself <laughs> and go to the polling station. It has to be. I mean, like, look, yeah. I did it in the primary. New York was crazy. I applied for uh, absentee ballots, absentee ballots for my wife and myself. Mine arrived. Hers did not. Mm. And I said, you know what, honey, I'm going to walk with you and we're going to go vote together. And if we get sick together, you know, the kids will go live with their grandparents, but godparents, but, you know, we're, they, we're going to make it happen. And, um, you know, we survived that. And look, you know, I know it's hard for some people. They have respiratory illnesses. They have multi-generational families. They are concerned. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. But, like, the chance of having this guy reelected, you know, and Michelle Obama, again, talked about, like, was it like 2% in certain states and criti- some critical states? I mean, like yeah. very small numbers of people. I mean, like black people yes. could have turned this over. And that's not to blame because voter suppression is a big part of that. But like Wisconsin could have been different if that's black right. people had done certain things. Michigan could have been different if that's black right. people had done certain and things. We're, and by the way, we're talking about 16,000 votes. We're not talking about mm. a lot of votes. We're talking that's a, about. That's like one big church. Right, that's right. Like that's, that's like right. a big church. Could be 16. The, the thing of it, and this is part of why people have been, I think, making this point about you can't, you know, there's no throwaway vote. Don't do, let's not play that game. There's no third party. I mean, in uh, Wisconsin and Michigan, and I always forget. There's one other state. I'm clearly blocking it because it's too traumatic. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> from 2016, that you know, the margin by which Hillary lost those states. That's the same number of people who voted for Jill Stein and that. Yeah. Ron Johnson guy. Yeah. Not a lot of, you know, that's how, that's what we're, we're talking about razor thin margins. And so, yeah. you know, the, uh, we cannot let ourselves and look, you know, there's another thing I think Tori, we have to be real about. I understand like what you were saying about criminal justice. 
you know, you don't have to vote for Joe Biden because he's perfect on every issue. One of the, you have to vote for Joe Biden because we can't, this is not sustainable right now where we are. It is getting worse and worse and we are going further and further back. Let's get him elected and then we will keep up our fights. That doesn't mean we're not gonna. That perfectly articulates the anti-Trump vote. What I was hoping for out of the primary was also a reason to vote for the Democratic nominee, beside the fact that anyone but Trump. And I'm I'm not fully getting that, and I'm going along, I'm going to vote for Biden, but I wish I felt more of a policy reason why I'm like, yes, this person, you know, like I was like Warren and Sanders are my folks. Did you pay attention during that 20 minute spot about the environment? Of, of, of course I did. Okay. I'm just saying, I'm you know, I'm looking at you because I just want to make sure you were, you know, paying attention to some of those important policy conversations. But I mean, I hear you. I feel, I guess I was specifically speaking to those people who might say, you know, okay, you know, I get it. We got to talk to Republicans in this convention and we got to do it, but where's, you know, and so part of it is like, look, that is not to say that. um, And I think, you know, again, if you look at where Biden is on across the board, a lot of issues, I mean, he is in, I think a good place. There are certainly places I would like to see him, you know, move farther to the progressive, whatever, how we want to say that. But I also want us to be very real with ourselves that a big part of the job of whoever comes next is undoing the damage. And so there's a dual track of undoing the damage and putting us on a path forward. But yes, but he's already said he's not going to prosecute Trump. I'm not talking about prosecuting Trump. I'm talking about part of it. I'm talking about things like all the executive orders and all the people who have molded themselves into the the agencies and all the, you know, all the things for the, on the environment. And if you think, I mean, you know, for, you know, criminal justice, I mean, my God, we have an attorney general who doesn't even think systemic racism exists. So I'm talking about the stuff, having worked in government that I know about that a lot of folks don't realize that actually affects our lives day to day, that we have to get in there and like, root that crap out now that that stuff is important and bar will be gone and Thank others God. you know and the joy we'll will all be the gone. damage that he's done and we'll see where they put too much money into perhaps certain places where it's like you know what how about we spend more money treating immigrants humanely and making sure that i mean i'm just saying there's a lot of work to do I'm and I'm, you know, you're not gonna, but you know what? Tonight you're just not gonna take my joy because I'm so excited about Kamala. I was no, so I, excited. I, I, look, I don't. It made me cry. It was historic. It was beautiful. It was. You know what? You know when? You know when I almost cried and I didn't cry because I'm over socialized American male. Is, but when Joe Biden said that he had to ask Jill five times to marry him. <laughs> Because she wanted to make sure that she would be there for his boys forever. I was like, I'm not crying. You're crying. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Really like, wow, what are these? I really am about to cry. That was amazing. How many times did you have to ask your wife? How many times did you have to ask your wife to marry you? Well, only once, but I was fortunate. There were no, there were no, nobody else's children were involved. I mean, like, you know, this was, this was a love um, that was built on something else. This tragedy had happened. This other person is coming in. Like 
this has to last because I can't have these boys go through one more bit of anything. And, you know, I mean, like one last thing. I mean, like Joe Biden's life and his politics are so deeply informed by two major tragedies, right? One that happened decades ago, one that happened years ago. Um, And it's so on the front of his heart and his mind. And the president just lost his brother and you wouldn't even know it. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, look, I'm one who believe, obviously we all grieve in different ways, but I think the fact that Biden is, I think he's informed by that. I think he's also really in, in his life is informed by growing up in what was a blue collar America where, mm-hmm. you know, there was certain things about the American dream that we believe were true. And when you live in a family and your dad loses their job and the family is insecure, I mean, that's very real. And that has a very real impact on how you think about life. Um, and so I really relate to that. The last thing I will say though, is, you know, again, part of what made tonight special and powerful was to hear Kamala call the role of black women. And she included Mm. Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, which I thought was important to talk about. I'm, you know, we've never had anyone at that level talking about those experiences, talking about what that means, what that, you know, when we're talking about suffrage, right? That women's suffrage, that black women, we didn't get the right to vote back then. We didn't get it until 1965. To have, so I also believe that having these two people with these lived experiences, very different experiences, um, but shaped and informed by uh, the way they experienced the world as a black woman, as a, you know, growing up with a single mother, as a, you know, I think she is a fantastic uh, she did, I love the work that she did as attorney general and, you know, Joe Biden, um, as you said, tragedy, um, but also, you know, commitment to can- addressing cancer, the work that he did to help Obama get the economy going back. You know, I feel like these, I trust these p- folks to take us the next step to take, to too. get us, to get us out of where we are and to move us forward, not just, to say like, okay, Trump's over. No, because we still have to move forward. Um, And and it was just such an important moment in the history of black women in this country. Yeah. I mean, we have a new opening to the chapter, the next chapter about black women in America. And I don't want us to lose sight of that. Absolutely. Um, No, absolutely. The only thing I would add to that is that the end of Trump is not the end of Trumpism. And we're going to have a continued battle against the embattled uh the emboldened racism yeah. of america that we see now and all the endless karen and ken videos that we see every but karen day. and you know we don't want to hate all karens because some karens are good people we love this karen thank you so much <laughs> uh, all right, karen done. finney thank oh, you for God. listening to democracy ish i'm Torre. i'm karen finney it was great to be with you Thank you so much. So um, we will be back next week, assuming we still have a country. I think we we will still have a country next week. It's looking pretty good right now. I I think you're pretty safe on that one. I hope. Okay. Knock on wood. Knock on (laughs) wood.